It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Here's your host. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner. A lot of people look at me and wonder, what can that thing be? Is it fish or fowl, trout or owl, vegetable or human? Well, gals and guys, I'm gonna put you wise. You're looking at a woman. I can scoop up a great big dipper full of schmaltz from the dripping can, throw it in the skillet, go out and skin a rabbit and be back before it melts in the pan, cause I'm a woman. W-O-M-A-N, I'll say it again. Now I can rub and scrub Jethro's boots until they're shining like a dime. Shuck the peas, shoe the fleas, and clean the outhouse at the same time. <laughs> Get all dressed up, go out and dance till 4 a.m., and then lay down at 5, jump up at 6, and start all over again. Because I'm a woman. W-O-M-A-N. I'll say it again. Now, if you come to me sickly, you know I'm going to make you well. And if you come to me all hexed up, you know I'm going to break the spell. And if you're hungry, you know I'm going to fill you full of grits. And if you're dry, I'll mix your corn liquor with sauerkraut juice. Ain't that a blitz? (laughs) That kind of a drink, you won't need a rocket to get to the moon. Because I'm a woman. 
M-A-N I'll say it again Now I can stretch a greenback dollar bill From here to kingdom come Tend the stills, pay my bills And still end up with some I got a $20 gold piece To prove what I just said I can make a dress out of a feed bag And I can make a man out of jail Cause I'm a woman M-A-N I'll say it again Cause I'm a woman W-O-M-A-N And that's all Eat your heart out, Jaja <laughs> Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and that was a new offering for Schlocktober 2020 for regular listeners. You know, every year for the month of October, while everyone else is celebrating Rocktober and Shocktober, we celebrate Schlocktober with a different, odd, or unusual song each day, often by celebrities. That was Irene Ryan, um, or as I like to think of it, uh, Granny Clampett sings the blues. She played... uh, Granny Clampett on the uh, classic TV show Beverly Hillbillies. But we move on. Today is Wednesday, which means Armchair Politics Day. That's coming up at the top of the hour. Two hours of commentary and analysis about uh, the day's uh, headlines and current events, plus uh, some quotes and uh, my favorite part, the X-Files. But uh, we'll be joined by... uh, Jan Worth Nelson from East Village Magazine. She'll be joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. But first, um, we have uh, joining us for one of our our, um, regular chats is uh, economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan, Flint. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Tom. Great to be back. Um, And and sorry to make you sit through that uh, (laughs) that weird record. (laughs) Um, Oh, no worries, I enjoyed it. Anyway, um, there have been a couple of things in the uh, in the headlines this last week. It's it's been a weird. I was going to say it's been a weird week, but it's it really has been a weird year. Um, I've heard it referred to as being twenty twentyed. Um, but uh, one of the headlines was, of course, the president uh, being um, diagnosed with COVID nineteen which shot the stock market down. And I thought we might talk a little bit about why one thing relates to the other. And, um, and then I thought we'd talk a little bit about the president's uh, uh, decision to stop negotiations on a stimulus package until after the election. But let's, let's go with that stock market dip first. It went down something like 300 points in the wake of the announcement that the president had contracted COVID-19. Um, why does whether or not the president has COVID impact the stock market? Yeah, so I think even by 2020 standards, the first week in October was a pretty strange week, uh, which is really saying something. Uh, it is. Um, 
Uh, I think the reason the stock market went down when the president contracted COVID is because the stock market hates uncertainty. The markets really want the future to be certain. And 2020 has been anything but certain, uh, but the president contracted COVID just adds more uncertainty into the mix. Um, even though the odds the president will be fine are pretty high, even for someone in his age range and uh, with the pre-existing conditions he apparently has, uh, overweight, um, apparently doesn't eat very healthy, if you believe the social media pictures of him eating uh, McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> he still has something like a better than 96% chance of being okay in the long term. However, just that increased chance that something might happen to him was enough to jolt the market to say there might be some political uncertainty coming down the road, um, especially within the next 30 days when um, there's already a lot of political uncertainty with the election. Um, not only who will win the election, but how long will it take to know who won the election? Because it seems like to add to um, the 2020 story, we're not going to know who won election night. Back in 2016, like around 2 o'clock in the morning, we knew that President Trump had won. But people are saying, well, it might take a week or it might take a month to count up all the mail-in votes, which introduces a lot of uncertainties. So the well, yeah, they're saying adds it, to that uncertainty. Yeah, they're saying it could be a week to count the votes, but but then if it's if it's really close, the way several elections have been over the last uh, few cycles, um, if it if it becomes challenged then we're talking about potentially months to get it resolved. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's, that's right. You think back to the year 2000 where it took months to get the Florida results solved. It took a Supreme Court decision to finally end the recount and declare, you know, then Governor Bush the winner. But, you know, talking about 2020, the worst case scenario is we have Florida on steroids where we don't have one state. With Florida, it wasn't just the entire state of Florida. You're talking about two or three counties in Florida where uh, the recount was being contested. You know, you might have, you know, several counties across several different swing states um, being undecided and having court cases filed um, regarding those counties. You could think about counties perhaps in Michigan or Pennsylvania or Wisconsin that are all thrown into doubt uh, because of the mail-in vote and the time it's taking to get those votes counted. And then the mail-in vote um, have issues regarding to um, votes being disqualified, either due to missing signatures, signatures that don't match the voter registration registration file, uh, do votes that come in without a postmark count, do votes come in after the election but with a postmark on election day count, you know, those all, these are all grounds for lawsuits, and as far as I can tell, there's no real precedent in terms of uh, what you do with these contested votes, uh, which is why it's a little bit disconcerting that the way we're going to figure this out is in 2020 with perhaps the most contested, the most polarized election in a generation, or maybe even in American history. And the thing that, that, that I can't help going back to, uh, Chris, is... This notion that, you know, of course there's uncertainty about the election, um, uncertainty about how long we'll be dealing with COVID-19, uncertainty uh, about any number of things, the, the president's health and so on. Um, but the future is never certain. 
um, how does Wall Street differentiate between, you know, just the fact that we don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow and um, these specific uncertainties? Yeah, I think the difference with 2020 versus previous years is, is that in previous years, you knew, you knew for certain something was going to happen. The question was just probabilities. It's kind of like this idea of um, known unknowns versus unknown unknowns, right? Known unknowns mean, means that you don't know what, what's going to happen in the future, but you know what the possibilities are. Like in 2016, we had a pretty good idea that either Trump or Hillary Clinton would be president, and we, we would know the outcome at some point on election night. It was same with 2012, same with 2008. You know, 2000 threw a wrench into the system, but that was a big surprise. But in any other presidential election, we knew something was going to happen. It was just a matter of, well, this president, did Donald Trump in 2016 have a 40% chance of winning, 30% chance of winning, 50-50? Uh, we just, we didn't know the exact probabilities, but we knew something was going to happen. Well, in 2020, it seems like not only do we not really know the chances that each candidate has, of winning, we don't even know um, when we will know who won. Um, will it be on election night? Will it be a week down the road? Will it be a month down the road? So that's a huge unknown being thrown into the system that I think Wall Street really doesn't like, and Americans in general really don't like. Um, likewise with COVID, uh, we have no idea how long we'll be dealing with it. Uh, we have maybe an idea how severe it is, given that we've had the better part of half a year with it. But that's just a big unknown being thrown into the system, um, which Wall Street doesn't like. So it's all these new um, unknown things that we have no way of knowing um, that I think is really causing a lot of market uncertainty. And, but, but I don't understand what, what threat it poses for Wall Street if something goes one way or the other. Yeah, I think the worry is that we don't, if we knew for certain things would go one way or the other, I think things would be basically okay. That if we knew, hey, on election night, either President Trump or Biden will be declared the winner, you know, that would be one thing. But we're now saying that we don't know if things will go one way or the other until perhaps a month down the road, which just introduces perhaps a longer period of time of uncertainty, which could cause a lot of economic disruption. Um, especially if the election is contested, it at least to say protests in the street, um, any sort of you know riots and looting uh, would cause a lot of economic problems. So I think it's just that potential of prolonged uncertainty that things won't be decided on the evening of election night that Wall Street is perhaps reacting to. And and I want to ask how. Um how that reaction uh, presents itself. But we have a break here, Chris. Can you stand by for a few minutes, and, and then we'll get back into this some more? Oh, sure. Okay, my guest is uh, from University of Michigan Flint, economist Chris Douglas. If you're listening to us on 92.1 FM, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. We'll be right back. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner Program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, here Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, early gate rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send 995 in check or money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian residents, add $3. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my conversation with economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan, Flint. Chris, welcome back. Hey, Tom. Great to be back. Um, Chris, before the break, we were talking about uh, the president's diagnosis uh, uh, with uh, COVID-19 and the subsequent drop in the uh, stock market of uh, something like 300 points. And you were saying that the uh, stock market doesn't like uncertainty, and there's certainly a lot of uncertainty to go around with an upcoming election, uh, which uh, may be contested uh, in, in a variety of ways because of um, increased uh, mail-in voting you know, different kinds of voting and vote counting than we've experienced in previous years, at least a greater amount of absentee ballots to count by hand and so on. Um, but um, when the stock market goes down, and, and when you say that the stock market doesn't like uncertainty, um, what is happening? What causes a 300-point dip? Are people pulling out and and, and driving prices down? Um, what What's actually going on there? Yeah, that's what's happening. Um, so I think the real uncertainty the market's reacting to is the fact that the U.S. could be experiencing political uncertainty that we've never really experienced um, in our history, just given what's going on with the 2020 election. So what people are doing is saying, well, political uncertainty is going to lead to economic problems. So what they're doing is they're trying to sell their stock portfolio immediately to try to get out of the market before things perhaps get really bad. So when people start jumping stocks onto the market trying to sell, all that increased selling pushes prices down, and that causes the stock market indices, which are uh, an average of the price of the various stocks, to fall. Yeah, it's just basic supply and demand. Whenever you have an increase in the supply of something, that pushes the price of that something down, and there's an increase in the supply of shares of stock on the market. As people try to unload their portfolio and move their money to what they perceive as being a safer asset, which is why you saw the stock market tank at the beginning of COVID. People are like, well, this is going to be really disruptive with a big chunk of the economy idle. So what we're going to do is dump our stocks and try to move our money into something much safer, which they thought was cash at the time, which is why you saw the stock market uh, decrease by you know, nearly half over the, over about a six-week time period. Chris, um, are you using a, uh, a speakerphone? Yeah. Can, can you switch back? Um, it's uh, coming through just on the verge of breaking up. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. I, I, I just. How, how's that? Is that better? I think it is. Um, I just want to make sure that people can can hear what you're uh, what you're saying well. Um, let's uh, let's move on then from the the stock market dip, and and talk about uh, this notion that the uh, president has uh, put off negotiations over a stimulus package until after the election. Uh, a lot of economists are saying that that's going to be bad for the economy. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so it's a bit puzzling why he did that, because that tweet where he announced that he was putting up negotiations caused the stock market to decline by about 300 points or so. So if you look 
historically speaking, about what determines whether or not a president is reelected, it's the state of the economy. Well, the state of the economy is not good by any measure, but the recovery has been more rapid than what people thought it would be back in March and April. So you would think that would help the president's reelection chances, but by cutting off negotiations and causing the market to tank, he's basically shooting himself himself into the foot by making the economy that much more worse. That much worse. So that's why his action is a bit puzzling because it seems to run counter to his political interests. I guess the way you could spin it in terms of what he's thinking is that if you walk away from negotiations, sometimes that forces the other party to capitulate if they want the deal more than you do. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the case since the Democrats, if you believe the polls, have the upper hand of the election. So they're probably just content to yeah. you know, let him shoot himself in the foot by causing the market to tank and say, okay, we're happy to pause negotiations until after we win the election, and then we'll be able to get exactly what we want with perhaps a Democratic president and a Democratic House and a Senate. So it's a bit puzzling what he's thinking, other than he thinks that by walking away, he's for, he'll force Nancy Pelosi to come back with a deal that's more favorable to him. But I don't think she has any sort of political incentive to do that. Yeah, it almost feels like, in knowing uh, the president the way we do, or at least the way we perceive him, that he's saying, you know, uh, if you don't vote for me, no money. Yeah, although... If you look at the bills that um, the Democratic House has been passing, um, what they could say is, is that if they don't vote for the president, they'll get even more money than if they do. Because the Democratic, Democratic House wants expanded unemployment benefits, the full $600. Um, they want a big aid package to state and local governments to make up for the state and local revenue shortfalls due to the shutdowns. And they also want... They also want the $1,200 per person going out. So the Democrats could say, fine, don't vote for the president. If you vote for us, we'll give you even more than what we're what he would give you. So, it's again, it's a little puzzling you know, why the president would essentially tell people you're not going to get really anything until after the election when you know, the Democrats could say, well, if, if that's the route he takes, we'll give you even more. Now, the economy seems to be recovering a little bit from the various shutdowns, um, you know, from state to state, uh, some more than others. Uh, uh, but but yet the economy seems to be rebounding a little bit or didn't take as much of a hit as, uh, as many people feared. Why is that? Uh, it seems to be because people are more willing to get out and get back to their daily lives than what people were expecting back in March and April. You know, back in March and April, people were saying, well, this virus is very bad, it's very contagious, it's very lethal, so even if we reopen the economy, you know, people are going to not be very willing to go back out in public, to go back shopping, to go back on road trips, stay in hotels, eat at restaurants, and so forth. Uh, but people seem way more willing to do that than what was expected, which is what's really driving this economic recovery. Um, states haven't reverted back to economic shutdowns, with some exceptions. New York City is shutting down, I believe, six or nine zip codes because of increases in the coronavirus. 
California has been rolling back some of the reopenings, but lots of other states haven't. You know, Florida famously has it re- re- rolled back their reopening. So the reopening, I think, has just proceeded much more quickly, and people have have gotten back to their daily routines much more quickly, which has driven an increase in demand for things like restaurants, retail, hotel rooms, and so forth, uh, which is driving uh, the economic rebound. So really, the whole economic rebound hinges on the economy reopening and then people taking advantage of this reopening to get back on with their daily lives. For a lot of everyday people, the economy really isn't going to recover until everybody's back to work. And there's still a lot of people who aren't working, um, aren't working steadily. There are a lot of businesses that have closed as a result of basically having to shut down too long. Um, what's, what's the big picture? If we do get a stimulus package, um, how does that bolster, uh, you know, everyday people's lives? And what's the big picture? Where is that money coming from? Are we pushing debt down the road? Yeah, so the, to answer your last question, uh, yes, we're just pushing that money down the road. Um, the government is borrowing it. Uh, so it's just feeding into the national debt. And the Federal Reserve is essentially printing money to buy up all the new national debt being created. So the stimulus money is being funded by government borrowing, which then is funded by um, creating money, um, which is just a big um, kick of the can down the road. The bet is is that, well, it'll be kicked so far down the road uh, that it won't catch up with us. And hopefully that bet pays off. It's, it's a pretty big bet to take because lots of countries get into trouble running big budget deficits and creating money to cover the budget deficit. Um, in terms of the stimulus, how that affects everyday people, um, it keeps their income unchanged, even if um, they're not working due to a shutdown. So this is a unique recession in that if you look at um, personal income, uh, personal income um, has stayed relatively constant or even increased a little bit even while the unemployment rate has shot way up um, because the unemployment has been covered, the, un- the loss of jobs, the unemployment has been covered by what was in March a very generous um, relief package in the form of the $1,200 plus unemployment uh, benefit that had the extra $600 attached to it, which were lots of people more than replaced the income they lost by um, losing their jobs. So if there's nothing to replace that, um, you know, people will start to face some real hardship that they'll see their income go down, um, which then affects the economy because reduced income re- means that people reduce their spending on uh, you know, various goods and services throughout the economy, uh, which slows down the economic recovery. One of the I think that's how it affects everyday people is that the stimulus replaces the lost income um, that they suffered by losing their job due to the shutdown. One of the things that's happened during the, the pandemic is the inclusion of gig workers who never qualified for unemployment benefits before. Artists, musicians, restaurant workers, Uber drivers, that kind of thing. Um, is that something that's going to survive the pandemic? Do you think that those people will qualify for some sort of uh, unemployment assistance in the future? It's always hard to speculate, but I think if history is any guide, the answer is yes. Um, just because whenever you create a new um, government benefit, uh, 
a new government program, it's very hard to claw that back in the future. Um, because if you give a group of people a benefit, it's very hard to take that away at some point. So, you know, there's a debate about whether or not gig work is becoming more prominent in the U.S. economy. You know, arguably it is. So if gig work is becoming more prominent, there's going to be an argue, argument to be made that, well, if there, the economy goes into a recession, you know, these workers should be covered by traditional unemployment benefits, um, just like the more traditional workers are. Um, there's an argument to be made that unemployment benefits were created, you know, in the 1940s, 1950s, where the U.S. economy, the typical job, looked much more different than it does today. So I think the answer is probably yes, that in the future, um, it's likely that these workers will be covered by some sort of benefit. Um, in the process of, of uh, trying to make individual people gig workers or traditionally employed people who are unemployed, uh, making them whole with money, if the Fed is printing money, um, in giving people more money, aren't they essentially driving down the value of the money that people are getting? Um, you would think so. And certainly if this is a permitted arrangement that a big chunk of the economy is idled, but the Federal Reserve tries to print money to cover the difference, well, that's going to lead to inflation. You know, that in the long run, if 25% of the economy is idled, well, then income across the board has to fall by 25% because the way income is generated is by producing output. So I think the bet is, is that in the short run, um, the Federal Reserve can print money to cover the difference between income and output without causing inflation. But certainly they can't do that in the long run. The question is, is just, well, how long is it until the long run kicks in and that inflation kicks in? You know, some people say, well, you know, a year or two down the road, it's probably fine to continue doing this before inflation kicks in. Other people say, well, there's already signs of inflation. If you look at grocery store prices, um, you know, those have risen pretty substantially during the shutdown. I just saw an article that suggested that used car prices are rising, which suggests inflation. The one way the inflation is being suppressed is that, well, so much of the economy is being shut down that people just don't have anything to spend money on. So the only places where you're seeing prices are rising are parts of the economy that are remained open, such as grocery stores. So the worry is that once the entire economy opens up, well, then you're going to start to see prices across the board rise as all this newly printed money hits the system. So that's a possibility. Um, it's hard to know exactly what will happen because something like this has never happened before. And, you know, trying to print such a substantial quantity of money to cover a shortfall and economic output due to the shutdown has never been tried before. So I think we're really in uncharted territory, which is a large reason why, kind of getting back to this idea of market uncertainty, there's so much uncertainty that uh, the stock market is reacting to. One of the things that, that I've run into, um, not in any big way, but, you know, just I, I, I had to order a, a battery for a cell phone just recently, and it was... Uh, um, took took a very very long time to get, and some of that had to do with um, 
the the trade policies between uh, the U.S. and China and and the U.S. and other countries. Um, one of the things that's happened uh, during the the pandemic is places have closed down, and then as they begin to reopen, warehouses are are basically empty and being restocked, and and companies are you know retooling and and getting running again but there's there's a lag time it's it's taking time to get certain goods um how is the the trade policy and the pandemic uh intersecting yes yeah, so i think the pandemic is magnifying whatever problems they were there were as a result of trade policy I don't think the trade policy had a, a huge amount of problems. So you could say, well, tariffs are counterproductive, perhaps. Um, they slow up um, the trade of goods and services. They kind of screw up the supply chain a little bit. But I think overall, the tariffs weren't a huge economic problem. Um, certainly, if you look at the typical economic indicators like the stock market, like the unemployment rate, um, like the inflation rate and so forth, there weren't any big um, flashing uh, red lights as a result of the tariffs. I think the supply chain issues you're alluding to are mostly due to the pandemic. Is that the pandemic hit China very hard where you have big factories in China that were idle for the better part of a month or two um, due, to the, due to the virus. Well, if those factories are idle, well, that means that there's going to be ripples along the supply chain as a result. Uh, fewer Fewer products are shipped across the ocean because of those factories being idled, which means empty warehouses, which then means empty store shelves. So it takes a few months for a shutdown factory in China to translate into an empty store shelf in the U.S. But I think that's why you're seeing, you know, kind of random things in the store being out of stock. Things like cell phone batteries. Um, one thing I noticed was uh, like inflatable um, inner tube or inflatable tubes for swimming pools and um, lakes were were empty on the store shelf this summer because those things are made in China. So a shutdown your know, toy factory in China three months down the road means an empty store shelf in the U.S. And I think it's going to be a long time for um, those supply chain hiccups to be rectified. It's going to take a long time for a restarted factory in China to translate into a filled container ship going across the Pacific, which then translates into a stocked warehouse and a stocked store shelf. I was talking with somebody just recently um, who argued that using uh, GNP and GDP as a way to measure the um, health of the economy was really deceptive, was really a bad way to measure it. Um, and we've talked about this before, Chris, but what are some of the good ways to measure how the economy is doing? Yeah, so I still think that GDP is the best thing we have. I know there's problems with it, like the standard problems you hear is that, well, GDP doesn't include the cost of pollution. So if you build a car, that increases GDP, but if the car causes a bunch of pollution, that doesn't decrease GDP. Decre GDP doesn't take into, into account income inequality. You know, GDP doesn't take into account people's happiness. So if people are producing lots of goods and services, but they're pretty miserable, 
the goods and services increase GDP, but the misery doesn't decrease GDP. So those are all valid arguments against GDP. But I still come back to the idea that, you know, we don't really have anything better than GDP. And GDP, um, just so your listeners are clear, just measures the value of all vital goods and services being produced in the U.S. economy. And then if GDP swings up or swings down, um, the state of the economy broadly follows the, sim- the same pattern. So certainly if GDP decreases by 33%, like it did in the second quarter, you know, that's a huge sign that the economy has some real severe problems. So if GDP increases by, say, 30% in the third quarter, which some estimates suggested it might have, you know, that's certainly a big sign that um, the economic recovery is well underway. Um, so you look at increases in GDP over the last, say, 50 to 60 years, um, between, say, 1950 and 2020, you know, GDP has roughly tripled, um, even adjusted for inflation, which means the U.S. economy is producing three times more output now than it did, say, 60 years ago. Well, there's no other way to um, say that, you know, that has increased people's standard of living, living substantially. I mean, there's just no way of getting around that. You know, that people, if given the choice of living in 2020 versus 1950, um, are going to are going to prefer 2020 just because they have more goods and services to consume, more cars, more TVs, more computers, medical care is a lot better. So I think big picture-wise, GDP still does a pretty good job reflecting the state of the economy and, and living standard. You know, when things get more dicey is when you start talking about small changes at GDP, you know, does a 2% increase in GDP really mean that people are substantially better off than, say, a 1.5% increase in GDP? Well, that's maybe a little bit more up in the air. Or if you look at differences between the U.S. and the European living standards, U.S. GDP per person is higher than it is in Europe. Um, does that mean the U.S. is way better off than Europe? Well, it's a little bit more dicey. But certainly for big changes in GDP, especially over a longer time period, I think GDP still does um, work as a proxy for living standards. And what about unemployment? Um, are the unemployment numbers that we've been seeing accurate, or do they take into consideration, you know, the the situations where people are working multiple jobs? Are they being counted as multiple people? Um, not as unemployment. No, they're not counted as multiple people. So if you're one person, but you have three jobs, um, you're still just one employed person from the standpoint of the unemployment rate. So multiple jobs, is it an issue with the unemployment rate? Issues with the unemployment rate really are either people who are working a part-time job because they're counted as employed, just like somebody who's working a full-time job. Gotcha. Or perhaps, yeah, or somebody who's given up looking for a job because the economy is so bad, they're no longer counted as unemployed, even though... They're unemployed, but they're not part of the They're really unemployed, right. They haven't looked in a month because things are so bad. Well, they're considered to not be part of the labor force anymore. But, yeah, they're really unemployed. Um, Also, people who lost perhaps a really good job but could only find a subpar job to replace it. They're still counted as employed. But I think there are issues related to the unemployment rate that you shouldn't take the unemployment rate super literally in terms of the health of the labor market. Chris, I've got a like Chris, I've got to put a comma there. I've got another break coming up. Can you stick around so we can finish up? Oh, sure. 
All right. My guest is uh, Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint. We'll be right Hi, back. This is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long format interviews with New York Times bestselling author photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a man. 
magical place with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hey this is first ward city councilman eric mays and you're listening to the tom sumner program Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we continue my conversation with economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan, Flint. Thanks for sticking around, Chris. Oh, are you welcome? Great to be here. Um, we've been talking a lot about how a uh, uh, the economy, uh, uh, or at least Wall Street, can be negative negatively impacted by certain things that create uncertainty, from the pandemic to the president's. Uh, recent diagnosis uh, with uh, COVID-19 to the uh, election uncertainty and so on. But what about the flip side of that? What happens uh, on Wall Street when uh, a, a, um, uh, a vaccine is, uh, is, is finally approved and released to the public? What happens in the months that that's uh, ramping up and being made available to more and more people? Well, I think the market rallies on the expectation that COVID will finally be behind us. Um, it's, it's all hinges on the expectation that the vaccine will be effective, won't have severe side effects, that people will actually take it, which are all issues. Um, you can see polls out there where upwards of 30 to 40 percent of people are saying, yeah, I'm not going to take the vaccine because I don't trust, I don't trust the vaccine um, for a few reasons. Um, it's being rushed, which always leads to people having trust trust issues. I think people in general don't really trust the government. Um, so if the government says it's safe, you know, people are going to have some trust issues with that. But setting all that aside, um, if the vaccine is safe, people take it. Um, that's going to be a huge um, signal that the uncertainty with COVID is behind us. The economy will get back to normal like it was in 2019, and you'll see the market rally um, as a result. It's just like you'll see the market rally. It's always hard to make predictions about the stock market, but I'll make one anyway. That if come election night, we get a clear definitive winner, either President Trump is reelected or President or President-elect Biden is elected. Um, well, then I think you're going to see a market rally because that's going to mean no political uncertainty, no weeks or months of lawsuits, a disputed vote counting with the mail-in ballots. The election will be behind us. The president will be inaugurated in January, and there won't be as much political uncertainty as a result. So anything that increases certainty in the economy, like a vaccine or like a definitive winner um, in a month with the election, I think is going to cause the market to rally. On a, on a smaller scale, I, I know it's very different in a state than it is when we're looking at the national economy, but... Um, can something like the the recent Supreme Court uh, ruling finding that the the authority that Governor Whitmer was using for a variety of executive orders uh, with regard to um, reacting to the the COVID nineteen crisis, the shutdown orders and mask wearing and so on, um, the Michigan Supreme Court found that to be unconstitutional. Can that have an impact on Michigan's economy? Yes, it could. So if that leads to um, the rest of Michigan's economy opening up, people getting back to their daily lives and doing the things that were previously closed, 
and having that not cause an increase in the virus, which would strain hospitalization, hospital resources, um, I think that would improve Michigan's economy and cause employment in Michigan to increase. Uh, so there's a couple issues. Um, first, it appears that um, what the government is trying to do to work around that Supreme Court order is let the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services issue those orders instead. So the way I see it, or my understanding is, is that the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services is saying, we don't need that 1945 emergency manager law to issue these emergency orders. Um, the statute creating our department allows us to do that in the event of a pandemic. In fact, we did it during the Spanish flu. So rather than the gov governor issuing those orders, we're gonna do it instead. So if the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services is issuing emergency orders rather than the governor, well, that's a distinction without a whole lot of difference. So you might not see much change with Michigan's economy as a result of the Supreme Court order. So it's really hard to say because there's still some uncertainty going forward. Um, you have the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services starts issuing lots of emergency orders that'll probably involve a lawsuit at some point. So it's hard to know how that's gonna play out. Um, it just kind of gets back to the idea that COVID is so unprecedented um, shutting down a large sector of the economy is so unprecedented. It's really hard to say for certain how things are going to play out, and that uncertainty is causing a lot of the stock market gyrations we're seeing on a daily basis. And and just on a on a final note, uh, Chris, um, President Trump has uh, prided himself in um, being sort of the deregulator in chief. Um, has has some of the things that the uh, president has done with regard to uh, uh, using executive orders to knock down uh, a, a variety of, of regulations on businesses, has that caused what he would describe as uh, uh, a boost in, uh, in the American economy? Um, arguably, it did from 2017 to 2019. So you could say, well, the cutting of the corporate tax rate um, with that 2017 tax package maybe caused the boost. Uh, but regulations have a cost associated with them, too, because whenever there's a regulation, people impacting the by, impacted by the regulation have to pay a compliance cost. So if those regulations are reduced, well, that kind of serves as a tax cut, too. So probably both both of those things boosted um, the stock market, probably boosted um, GDP, at least by a little bit. Uh, but right now, COVID is just completely overwhelming those things. Um, so it's hard to say that, well, the cutting of, of regulations, the corporate tax rate, that's really boosting the economy right now. Probably did before COVID, but after COVID, just the enormity of COVID just swamps everything else. Well, Chris, uh, we're just about out of time, but uh, any any final thoughts on uh, what's what's happening going forward? Um, no, just all this uncertainty is, is really bad for everyone. The uncertainty with COVID, the uncertainty with the election, um, the very worst case scenario, which has a higher chance of happening than I think we would like, is that we have political uncertainty. Maybe some, you hate to say it, political violence. Um, if the results of the election are contested over a month 
plus time period as mail in ballots are challenged in various key swing states. Um, the uncertainty with COVID is certainly bad. So the the quicker this uncertainty can be resolved, uh, the better everyone will be. If there could be a clear, definitive winner close to election night, it'll be really good for America. And then the sooner um, a vaccine can be rolled out and adopted, the better that will be for America and for the economy as well. Well, Chris, thanks so much for spending this time with me this morning, and I look forward to our next next chat in about a month. All right, sounds good. I'm looking forward to it as well. All right, take care. You too. That was uh, Chris Douglas, who um, is an economist from the University of Michigan Flint. More of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I wanted to get some new girlfriends So I went and bought a Mercedes Benz A waste of money Eight thousand bucks down the drain I thought the girls would get wild and reckless So I bought cultured pearls and a diamond necklace A waste of money That cost me four thousand more They were returned I got no girls they repossessed Both the car and the pearls I styled my hair Just like Cary Grant's Bought a pair of those new tight pants A waste of money Household finance took my pants (laughs) The female gender I just don't get it Just when I'm out of both cash and credit, I found a honey. And this is what's funny. She don't need my money. She works for household finance. This was another Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
you pilots get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. It's 